going? Good to be back in Australia. Uh, yes, uh, I've been away for so long that I actually had to ask what a flat white was. To my shame, to my shame. I also, am, I try to keep the Aussie sayings alive in America just to throw everybody off, you know, like useless as a chocolate teapot and a, a bunch of others that are very rude. But there were two that I had totally forgotten about, which my mum said to me while I was home. And one is, and I don't even know if this goes across the different states, but uh, my mum says this thing, she says, she'll say something kind of emphatic, and then to drive the point home, she says, I'll give you the drum. <laughs> you ever heard that? Or the other thing she would say a lot is just quietly. You know, like, well, the bloody air conditioner can actually make you sick just quietly. <laughs> Why? Why does it have to be quietly? I don't understand. But it is just lovely to be here. Let's say a little prayer. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Amen. Let's just take a moment of awkward silence, eh? And just, I'll tell you, you'll know when the awkward silence starts. You'll feel it like a bat in the head. It'll be brutal. Um, but when we, let's just pray. And I like to think of this as a kind of prayer of descent, where we, we just sort of try to find our Lord within us and just quiet those voices clamoring for our allegiance, those worries, those fears, those distractions. And let's just find our Lord and tell Him we love Him. And what I want to do is take a full minute to do that. And you can all realize just how ADD you are at the end of that minute. Ready, set, Holy and undivided Trinity, we worship you, we trust you, we thank you, we love you. We bring the full work of Christ, his life, death, and resurrection in between us and those forces and foul things that would come against us. We ask your grace to flood this place, to bring us closer to you, to give us the courage to tear ourselves away from sin and stupidity and to plunge ourselves headlong into you. We love you, Jesus. Cardinal Pell, pray for us. Amen. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So um, I live in America, and people say, why? And I say, because I met a woman better looking than my country. No offense. I know it's pretty, it's a high bar, but she's super cool. I like her a lot. And uh, we met in Ireland. And we were serving with Net Ministries. All right. I was expecting it. I was expecting it. And uh, there was 12 of us, we got into a van, and we drove all the way up to Donegal. And we were about to run our first retreat. And when you're on net, and you've got to go into these high schools, and these teenagers do not want to be there. 
And so you have to very awkwardly go, gay guys. <laughs> what? Um, it's very awkward, you know, so you get to know the kids. And I realized two things very quickly. The first thing was I had no idea what they were saying to me. Their accent was thicker than I had expected. You know? That's what it sounded like to me. And I said, oh, what? And they said that same thing again. And I went, but no, seriously, what? And you really can only say what twice, can't you? You can't keep going. They've given you twice. You can't for the third time go, what? The third time, you just nod and hope that that was a correct response, you know? Like, oh, all right. The other thing that I noticed was different in uh, Ireland is they use words differently to us. So they use, you probably know this, I know we've got an Irish fella here somewhere. They use the word crack for fun, C-R-A-I-C. And so they go, what's the crack? <laughs> I don't know what that means at all. <laughs> so anyway, my wife is, well, she wasn't my wife at the time, but I was working on it. <laughs> She's chatting with these girls, and um, one of them says to her, this is a true story, is there going to be any crack on the retreat today? <laughs> Good. You see where this is going. I mean, she knew they couldn't have been serious about wanting cocaine on the retreat, but um, she played along. She was like, no, no crack on the retreat today. Um, and, she, and the girl said, do you guys seem like you're full of crack? <laughs> to be fair enough. Hey guys, you excited about the retreat? Yeah, I guess I've never met anyone full of crack, but that seems to gel. Um, and my wife said, no, no, I, I know we might seem like we're full of crack, <laughs> but what you are witnessing is just the joy of Jesus, you know? So say no to drugs and a girl piped back she went no 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 okay no crack is fun no it's not that's actually how it went that's what happened that's what my wife said might seem like fun now later on it'll get you you know <laughs> uh, it's irish for fun it's not fun anywhere that was a good start and um then i got to marry her it was great, not right away, but um, she married up, honestly, if we're honest, but she's fine. She's not, that's not a knock on her. I'm just terrific. No, that's, I keep making that joke thinking one day it'll land and it never does. I just look like a kind of, yeah, I'll stop. All right, I'm blind. I need glasses. By the way, how good is Jason Everett? I would never say that to his face, ever. You shouldn't either, but he is like, ah, oh, he's not here. Ah! I thought, honestly, the talk could have used some work. Just, if I'm to be frank, you know? Right, here we go. You guys heard of Matthew Kelly? 
apparently he's like very inspiring and stuff and motivates people. I'm here to make you feel crap. <laughs> yeah, yeah, laugh now, you Catholics. All right. <laughs> 17th century French philosopher, Blaise Pascal, once said that there are three types of people in the world. There are those who seek the truth about God and have found him. These, he says, are wise because they knew to seek and happy because they have found. Then in the second category are those who are seeking the truth about God but have not yet found it. These, he says, are wise because they know at least to seek but not yet happy because they have not yet found. The third group, he says, are those who neither seek nor find. And regarding this class of people, he says, I have no words to describe so pitiful a creature which was probably all the more biting in the French. But I love it because it is so easy to distract ourselves into oblivion. Ugh. I think one of the reasons we often just plunge headlong into a myriad of distractions is because we don't like ourselves very much. And distracting ourselves from ourselves is the closest we can get to getting away from ourselves, you know? Like if you go to a party and you know you buy the dip I don't know, I just thought a dip, but that's shit, isn't it? If you're having a beer, oh, this beer, yeah, you're getting a beer, and someone comes over, and you don't want to talk to them, and you're pretty sure they haven't seen you yet, you might do one of these, you know? <laughs> but it's difficult to do that when you're the one you want to get away from. And I do think very much of the time we willingly dissociate uh, scattering our interior life so as not to be present you know? Like, there's a big difference between leisure and dissociation. And I think we do that in regard to the big questions in life. I am so bloody melancholic, my wife can't stand it, but listen, look at me. There is going to come a time when someone will think about you for the last time. You're going to be dead rotting in the ground. And at some point, someone will think of you and that will be the last time. Bloody hell. Why would you say that? It occurred to me the other day that the number one question people will be asking after my funeral is, excuse me, where's the potato salad? Oh, bastards. But it's, it's too big, it's too terrifying. So it's easier just to numb. Okay. Here's how Pascal says the third type of person must seek to rationalize his indifference in the face of so great a mystery. It's a couple of paragraphs, so strap in. Here it goes. The third person, you, me, on some level, maybe you on the whole way around, I don't know. He says, I know not who put me into the world, nor what the world is, nor what I myself am. I am in terrible ignorance of everything. I know not what my body is, nor my senses, nor my soul, not even that part of me which thinks what I say, which reflects on all and on itself and knows itself no more than the rest. I see those frightful spaces of the universe which surround me, and I find myself tied to one corner of this vast expanse without knowing why I am put in this place rather than in another, 
nor why the short time which is given me to live is assigned to me at this point rather than at another of the whole eternity which was before me or which shall come after me. Come on. I feel like the melancholic introverts are vibing right now. <laughs> but the kind of choleric extroverts don't understand why I'm reading it. <sighs> I see nothing but infinities on all sides which surround me as an atom and as a shadow which endures only for an instant and returns no more. All I know is that I must soon die. But what I know least is the death that I can't escape. As I know not whence I come, so I know not whither I go. I know only that in leaving this world I fall either into the hands of an angry God or into annihilation without knowing to which of these two states I shall be forever assigned. Such is my state full of weakness and uncertainty. All right, so this is the place that modern man finds himself in. Skeptical of God, of meaning, nihilistic, but at the same time really uninterested to face these questions, even if it were possible to come up with an answer. And then he or she says this, and from all of this, I conclude that I ought to spend all the days of my life without caring to inquire what must happen to me. Perhaps I might find some solution to my doubts, but I won't take the trouble, nor take a step to seek it. And after treating with scorn those who are concerned with this care, I will go without foresight and without fear to try the great event and let myself be led carelessly to death uncertain of the eternity of my future estate, future state. I want to share with you briefly how I went from being that person, just, just really not interested and really not wanting to look at it, to someone who began to ask those questions, to someone who is now a Catholic. And the goal of this talk is to encourage you, if you're not yet, to be a Catholic, and if you are a Catholic, to just be a full-on, freak-the-world-out kind of Catholic. Just no, easy. Um, not, that's too much. Sorry. I feel like maybe I led you on. When I said full on, I didn't mean be as bad about it. Um, I grew up in a Catholic family, half Catholic. My mum was Catholic. My dad wasn't. He didn't go to church. My nan was a super Catholic. She wore a cape. <laughs> not really. Back on the meds, Nana. No, Nana. Sorry. Nan Harris, her name was Margie. Margie Harris, what a woman. She, whenever you go into Margie's house, she'd have her long neck beer <laughs> for some reason. West End Draft, terrible beer. Tattered rosary books, her, you know, her prayer books, I mean, her rosary beads. Good woman, loved her. So she would come to Mass with us every week. And my mum would force me and my siblings to go to Mass every week. I remember being at friends' houses, you know, you wake up in the morning, you watch the cartoons, you eat Fruit Loops. Thank you, America. And uh, then mum would knock on the door Sunday morning. Matt, come on, we're going to mass. That's how I heard her voice. And something in me died. And I just shuffled out of my little sleeping bag. Bye, guys. They didn't even look up. Bye. And then mum would take me to mass, that'd be the cathedral in Port Pirie. Um, 
and she'd threaten me. <laughs> you would too if I was your kid. She got down on my level, went, okay, we're gonna go in there. And you are gonna shut up. <laughs> and you're not gonna touch your sister, are you? Look at me. <laughs> That's how every mass started for me, so. <laughs> Off to a good start and uh, you know, I didn't, I, I was just bored. It was, there's nothing profound about my not wanting to go except that I was just bored. And it seemed like everybody else was bored. And the music was really bad. <laughs> just, I didn't want to be there, you know? And I tried not to, but my mum would make me. And I had a lot of questions about the faith as I started to get a little older, you know? Again, I don't know, being melancholic or whatever. I was like, mum, what happens when you die? Like, how do you know you go somewhere, you know? And, isn't that just what old people want to believe because they're on their way out? And uh, She'd say it's a mystery. I'm thinking I'm, maybe it is, but give it a shot. You know, like, <laughs> I'm not after a great answer, but an answer. Um, why do bad things happen to good people? Mystery. Okay. I think maybe you just don't know. Is that... So I started to come to the conclusion, I remember as a kid, I would lay in bed. I don't know if you've had this thought. You can go, ooh, if you have. Men don't do that, women do that. Um, men shouldn't do that, let me rephrase. Um, I, I would lay in bed as a kid, I was about eight, and I had this thought, what if there was a rocket ship with unlimited fuel, and I went all the way up? Yeah. I thought to myself, like, would I ever hit the top? Like, where, where do I go? Is, do you reach, is space spherical like the Earth and we don't realise it when you show up in the same place? Or do you hit the edges of something? Like, what is it? You know, I'm eight years old. Mum, it's a mystery. <laughs> so by about the age of 12, I remember thinking that I was pretty clever to have the following thought. God probably doesn't exist. This is just a story that humans invented to make life bearable, and there's no good reason to think he exists, so I, I don't know if he does. Now, at the time, I don't know, like atheism wasn't a thing, so I was agnostic, because that sounded spiritual or something, I don't know. And one day, and some of you know my friend, Carla Bellafemini. Um, what's her last name now, Carla Shaw? No. Yeah, I'm glad. I've just remembered this is being recorded, and I've told Carla eight times that I'll stop using her real name. But it is too late, Carla. <laughs> I am sorry. <laughs> Carla was a good friend of mine, and one of the reasons we were close is that she had weird questions like I had weird questions. This is what kids did before phones. They were interesting, you know? I remember having this real conversation. We were sitting across from each other, looking in each other's eyes, not like in a weird romantic way, just looking in each other's eyes, and I said, how come I'm in my body looking through my head at you, right? Right? She's like, uh-huh, uh-huh, okay. But see, you are in your body looking at your head through me. And we weren't on crack, anything like that. <laughs> None of that was taking place. Isn't that wild, you know? So she was cool, I liked her. I'm like 12, we were having that conversation. Anyway, one day we went rollerblading together because that was cool for a week. And uh, I sat down on the curb with Carla because she said she wanted to talk to me about something. And uh, she told me that she was very depressed and didn't want to go on living, frankly. 
Now, I'm 12. I have no way to navigate. I don't know how to navigate a conversation like this. I did my best, but it was kind of hopeless. But I started to give her things to look forward to. And what transpired over the course of this conversation is going to sound like a cheesy Christian skit, you know? But I, I, I'm, like, I swear, I think this is how it went. <laughs> you know, sometimes your memory isn't great when you're old like me. But I'm pretty sure this is what happened. I said, Carla! First thing I said, but Carla, you're beautiful. That's what I said, 12 years old. That's the best I got. And she, yeah, thank you. I thought it was good too. <laughs> but she didn't. She, I think she just looked at me and went, okay, like what the hell am I going to do with that? I'm still very depressed. You know, like, um, and I said, well, next year we'll go to high school. Huh? Thinking that would like close the conversation. Like she'd be like, yes, I forgot. No, and she went, uh-huh, then what? And I said, then we'll get our driving license. <laughs> I don't know what you do in Sydney when you get your driving license. I don't want to know, don't tell me. But in Port Perry, South Australia, when you get your driving license, you drive up and down the main street <laughs> all night long. Maybe get some Maccas and then just keep going up and down, <laughs> looking for action, you know? There's no action to be had. It's a very small town. Um, I said, we can do that. She said, then what? I said, then you can go to college maybe or get a job and that would be good and then you could get married, then what? Then you can have kids, that'd be nice, you know? Then you'd be a good mum, then what? Then, I don't know, you'll be a grandma. You can bake homemade pasta for your kids or something. She was Italian, that was racist, whatever. <laughs> um, You have kids, you have grandkids, and at one point she said, then what? And I said, and then, you know, like, you'll die and stuff. <laughs> you bastards. Stop it. It's not funny. Then, it's a bit funny. Then you'll die and stuff. And I'm like, actually, not stuff, just die. That's what's going to happen. Carla looked at me as if to say, do you see my point? Ooh, I remember that. Because it felt like a crushing blow. She kind of was like, do you see the meaninglessness of life? Like, it, it, somebody said, this is the horror of modern man because he comes from nothing and ends in nothing. He is nothing. And I had no thing to say to Carla. I don't know what I said. I just went home feeling depressed. It's hard to be depressed on rollerblades, but I gave it a shot. <laughs> Even though I wasn't able to articulate it then, I think I am now. And that is to say this, if God does not exist, then we have, you might say, dogmatic answers to some of the most important questions, all of the most important questions, we're all very interested in asking. You know, like even if you are a very uninteresting person, because you've blown your mind out, blown your mind out with TikTok and distractions, after the third beer, even you, are interesting enough to ask one of these following questions. Here are the questions. Where did I come from? Who am I? Why am I here? How shall I live? And where am I going? If atheism's true, here's the answers. Where did I come from? Again, very different to a Matthew Kelly talk. You've been coughed into existence by a blind cosmic process that didn't have you in mind. 
then, who am I? You are the result of matter plus time plus chance. Right? Well, uh, why am I here? Oh, see, now that's a silly question. Because why has to do with meaning and teleology and the end of things. But if the world is just one big cosmic accident, it follows inescapably that you are too. You're part of that. So if there is no objective meaning to the world, there is no objective meaning to your life. Now, you might come up with all sorts of subjective meanings, like I would like to give talks about Jesus to people or whatever, or like fight abortion or something. And that feels good, and you can take a lot of meaning in these things, but these are really self-imposed things. They aren't actually the meaning of your life. They're things you kind of cling on to, I think, to get through the long days and longer nights. And then if you say, well, how should I live? If atheism's true, I don't know how you get around this. It seems to me that you can act however you wish to act. Now, you might choose to act in a way that's conducive to the flourishing of your tribe or town or community. And if you do that, you might find meaning in that, you might find pleasure in that, and people will clap for you and tell you how good you are, you know. But you might just decide to be a really bad person and ex exploit people and hurt people, and, 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 why, and who's to tell you you shouldn't? And you might say, well, uh, well, if you do that, we'll hate you. I hate you too, I don't care. Well, society says it's bad, but society is just the kind of aggregate of yous. It's just a clump of you, and you have no authority over me, so nor does society. You can lock me up, I suppose you can do those sorts of things, but that's very different to trying to tell me that something is objectively, what I mean by objectively is like mind-independent, uh, right or wrong. And then finally, where am I going? Golly, I know it's funny, I'm going to talk about death again, and someone's going to laugh, and that's okay. But just sit in that for a moment, like, you are going to die. And here's the thing, if you died right now, like in your chair, slumped over, and it would, it'd be shocking, you know, people would freak out. Stop laughing. <laughs> you bastards, really. We'd have a prayer, someone would, you know, I don't know what they'd do. And we'd all be like, oh, gee, wow. You know? But tonight, I would still have a whiskey. It wouldn't bother me that much. Like, I know Jason more than you. I, I'd, well, I probably wouldn't have a whiskey if Jason died, but like, I wouldn't care. And this is, I, sometimes I think about this when people come up to me and they tell me that so-and-so died. In my head, I start a mental timer for when we change the topic. It's like 10 seconds, like, oh, bloody hell, God rest him, that's terrible. Do you know McCafe in America is no way near as good as the McCafe here? It's just not. And you'd think it would be. You'd think they'd get that right. It's wild, the pitilessness of death. But not only will you die individually, right, and some of you sooner than later, by the look of you. Oh, what? You, is that, that's the offensive bit? He talked about transgender stuff. <laughs> no, don't clap. It's not. Oh, oh. 
That wasn't meant to be a joke. Okay, so not a, back to death. Not only will you die, <clears throat> but collectively as a species, apparently we're going to die. Cosmologists tell us, and what the heck do I know? No more than you, but as the universe continues to expand and use up energy, that eventually the universe as we know it will be ruinous, uh, sort of drifting throughout seemingly infinite space forever. There will be no human race one day, even if we make it to Mars and then some other, eventually there'll be nothing. All right, look it up, heat death of the universe, have a deep dive tonight. <clears throat> From that vantage point, if you could ask the question, not that you'd be there, but did any of it matter? It seems like the answer is no, like none of it matters. All of life, all that was done and conquered and suffered, the joys celebrated, is like a spark within infinite blackness that appears and flickers and then dies forever. It's pretty bleak. None of what I just said is meant to be an argument for God. It might be the case that atheism is true, and I think it would follow that things are that bleak. But I didn't have any good reasons to think that atheism was true. I would say things like stupid things, you know, like um, you're only Christian because you were raised Christian, which is just such a bad argument because that cuts both ways. You know what I mean? Like what's a, let's think, what's a liberal lefty part of Australia? Melbourne? Let's pick on Melbourne. Like, it'd be like if somebody says to you, you're only a Christian because you were raised in a kick-ass Maronite family. And, that, and that's why, that's why you're a Christian. You can't conclude from that that Christianity is false. That would be like saying, well, the only reason you're an atheist is because you were raised in Melbourne on a purely vegan diet and your brain hadn't received the nutrients necessary to develop to such a state that it could consider arguments for God's existence. It's, it's funny, but it's a bad argument, you know? It, can, it commits the genetic fallacy. Or what else, I would say things like, I remember actually saying this and thinking it was so cool and brilliant. I said, uh, you should only accept something to be true if science can show it to be true. And then someone inevitably said, can science show that that statement's true? And I went, <laughs> no, that's a philosophical axiom that I began with and I'm embarrassed. Anyway, I was 17 years old and my mum came home from Holy Mass, so I stopped going. And she said, Matt, would you like to go to this thing? It's called World Youth Day, it's in Rome. Yes, <laughs> you know. Yes, I do want to go. And then I was afraid. I was afraid that Rome may be an obscure town in South Australia. <laughs> you know? Population 15. Want to go to Rome? Yeah! <laughs> Rome sucks, you know. Sorry, I was like, like Rome, like in Italy. Yes, yes. I've given it some thought and yes, I want to go. And she said, first thing she said, I'm not paying all this money for you to go make a bloody idiot of yourself. Now, to be fair, if you had to put money on, comes to Jesus, or makes a bloody idiot of himself, you would have been with my mum. I was like, no, I just, I'd love, I'd love to go, you know. And so I started preparing to go to Italy. I was so excited. The Pope was going to be there, yeah, yeah, whatever. 
but 2.5 million young people were coming. And I'm like, that's a lot of ladies. <laughs> and I've had no luck with these Australian Sheilas, so who knows? So I got ready and I remember sitting in the back of class in my grade, grade 12 and I said to my mate, I'm not going for Jesus or any of that stuff, I'm just going to have a good time. And uh, so I flew from Adelaide to Sydney and then at Sydney, I, I hope, I don't know if there's, did anyone go to World Youth Day in Rome? No, all right. Did you say hello to me when we, you were there? Oh, that's Jason, did you go? Oh, he didn't say hello. <laughs> But I showed up in Sydney and I'm at the airport and I, for the first time, was, sur was surrounded by other Catholic Christians who were young adults, like yourselves, right, who were normal and cool and attractive and, and believed what the church taught. I didn't understand what that meant. The only Christians I had ever met were like the really happy ones <laughs> who didn't blink nearly as much as they should have, you know? We actually had an evangelical group called the Assemblies of God. God bless them. I don't mean to knock them, but here we go. <laughs> they would have a sausage sizzle in the middle. By the way, sausage sizzle means something different in America. Don't say that from a stage in front of 10,000 people. I did that. Sausage sizzle. And, and they would give away free hot dogs, these Christians. And you knew that they, it's, it was like the frickin', it was the cheese on the mouse trap. Yeah, you'd go... Good old mate, there you go. Because you had no money, you know, because you'd spent it all on the friggin' petrol. Good old mate, uh, yeah, just a bloody uh, hot dog, please, hoping that you'd make eye contact with them. And they would always bring up Jesus in the weirdest ways. It was just, you know, like, you want some, uh, you want some sauce? Yep, sure. You want some onions? You know, no, I was about to make a joke, but it was super lame, but now I've said I'm going to do it. Onions, uh, I'm going to do it. I'm going to go all in on this bad joke. <laughs> all in. You know, bloody onions. Cutting those buggers up, they make you cry, don't they? Kind of like you going to hell. <laughs> Makes me cry. They never said that, and it's a bad joke, and I won't use it again. But it was always like, hey, do you want to yeah, accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior? And I'm not joking. I went through a stage for about a year or two where I wasn't sure other people existed. I would go into my room at home, and I'd shut my door, and then I'd quickly open it to see if I could catch the void, not, you know... said to my friend Gareth once in library, we were in, at a class at the library, I said, Gareth, I'm afraid that you don't exist. <laughs> and that when you go home, these were, I'm sorry, these are mental issues I'm having, okay? <laughs> How about practice some non-judgment for a second? I'm afraid that when you go home and I don't see you anymore, you don't exist, and how would I know that you did? And even if I called you and answered, maybe your voice exists, but I can't see you. And he said, no, I do. <laughs> yeah. I do exist. And I went, oh, all right. No, I said, no, well, that doesn't help. You might. So when someone says, do you believe in Jesus? I'm like, I don't know if I believe in you. <laughs> so these are the kind of Christians I had met, okay? But now I'm surrounded by young adults, beautiful people like you who are happy and smiling and, you know, wretched, not, not perfect, you know, like sinners and falling and getting up and not knowing all the answers to my silly questions. But... But I had all these questions, like, how do you know God exists? And, and what about other religions? And um, what about what the church says about this and that? And usually it was all the sexual things. Apparently, whenever it came to sex, 
For me, it was multiple choice, but every other sin, I was black and white on, you know? I was very down on insider trading. I was very judgmental about racism. But if it had anything to do with sex, I was like, well, who's to say? Um, the thing that inspired me the most was their joy. It really was. Because my friends, we would have three or four beers and then we'd act joyful. But we weren't really. We couldn't kind of be honest with each other and share our hearts in a kind of unironic way. Whereas these people were kind and they put up with me and my foul mouth at the time. Hopefully it's gotten better. I think it has. You know, and I just, I was like, I like these people. And it's amazing they're so wrong, you know, like on this topic. I began to pray, God, if you exist, would you show me that you exist? And in a way that I would understand, please, because I'm quite thick. Like, I need you to make it clear. And it seems to me, friends, that that is a worthwhile prayer, to pray and to mean with all of your heart. And I remember as I was praying it, thinking, well, this is silly. I mean, maybe I'm just talking to myself. And yeah, all right, there's some embarrassment in that. But it seems to me there's a great deal more of embarrassment if I live my life as if he doesn't exist and I, I waste what he's given me, you know. Long story short, I'm going to cut out the interesting bit because I just got a five-minute warning. I know. Talk to him. <laughs> I don't, this is very cliche, and I don't like saying it like this, but I don't know how else to. It was like I encountered, a, I encountered Jesus Christ and my whole world just changed. It was like waking up one day and you had only seen the world in black and white and now it was in color. And everyone was wondering why you were so weird. You know, it was just wild. I was like, he exists. He loves me. He actually has a plan for my life. He loves me. Like me, not just, not just humanity, like a big clump of humanity. He loves you. I mean, have you met you? And yet he loves you. I think you're fine, but he loves you. This broke me. Um, and I came home from Rome like one of those Christians who was so happy it made you nauseous, you know? I just couldn't get enough of it. And people would object, you know, from many different angles. And I had a lot of beautiful Protestant friends who would ask me, why do you pray to Mary? Or what's with the Pope? Or why do you call priests father? And at first, those questions rattled me because I'd never really thought about that. But the more I looked into it, the more I saw there were really good biblical and logical answers to the questions I was getting. And I realized that the only church which can trace its lineage unbroken to the time of Christ and the apostles is the Catholic Church. That word Catholic is used in around AD 108 by Ignatius of Antioch. And Catholic means universal or according to the whole. And Ignatius uses it without explaining it, which leads scholars to think it must have been in use before then. And he's, he's using the word Catholic to differentiate the church Christ established from the splinter churches that were already emerging. And then I realized that, you know, the revolutionaries, Martin Luther and Calvin and Zwingli in the 16th century were kind of founding their own churches, cutting themselves off from this one church. That John Smith in the 17th century founded the Baptists and don't get me wrong, I'd go to the Baptist church in Piri because I started visiting all of them, you know, I was just so excited. And, and they were really much nicer than the people in my church, you know. 
I could have died in the front pew of St. Mark's and they would have just left me there for days. <laughs> until, a lot of death jokes, a lot of laughter too, which, and until, you know, one day Gladys, the lady who would vacuum, she'd be like, geez, that Matt Frad kid's really taken to religion. <laughs> Are those flies? Oh no. Um, that's my body rotting, that's what that means. Where I'd go to the evangelical church, their music was so exciting. You go to mine, let us build the city of God. <laughs> if I was Pope, that bugger would be excommunicated and anyone who dared play that song in a Catholic church would also be excommunicated. All right, let me try to, let me, I, I've, let me try to wrap this up and try to be a little serious because I feel like I've been a little too jovial. It's your fault though, because you were egging me on. <laughs> Stop it. Um, there's a lot of confusion in the church today. And it bothers me when people talk to me as if I'm insane for seeing the confusion. It makes me angry when people tell me that it's all in my head, or I'm making a mountain out of a molehill when I look at things that are coming out of the Vatican, or certain priests or bishops or other lay Catholic leaders are doing and I'm like, no, it's a very confusing time. And it seems to me from where I'm standing that there are truths that aren't being taught clearly and there are people going to hell because there are teachings that ought to be taught that aren't and we're all very confused. So this is how I, this is what I think the answer is for now, okay? The failure of certain people within the hierarchy, let's say that, eh? Safe. To teach truths that ought to be taught does not alleviate you and I of the responsibility to believe and to live and to teach those things. Like we have been commissioned to proclaim the truth. And so if our friends or our priests or our bishops won't or aren't, and many of them are, thank God, I don't know about many, but a lot of them are. That doesn't alleviate us of the responsibility to do so. And I, I know that this has been said a lot, and so maybe it won't land very well, but I think it's still true, eh? That there is no perfect church, and if you were to leave the Catholic Church in search of a perfect communion, you wouldn't find one. And if you did, as soon as you joined it, wretch that you are, it would be awful again. And there is something to be said about the 12, you know, that Christ chose, only one was at the cross, you know. His head apostle denied him. Uh, another apostle sold him, in a way. So I'm not terribly worried by that. I mean, it, it bothers me, but I have no control over it. And so what I say instead is, Father, I thank you that you have sent your son, Jesus Christ, into the world. He's died so that I can have life in him. I thank you that he's established a church and given that church authority. And I thank you that I can, I can trust that church, regardless of the failures of its members or its teachers. So, wrapping up, I guess I'd say this, because I don't know you or where you're at. If you do not yet know the love of Jesus Christ, say, Jesus, if you are real, show me that you're real. If you're here tonight 
and you've been involved in serious sin, all right? Like maybe you've had an abortion, or maybe you're into pornography or OnlyFans or sodomy, or maybe you are into black magic or witchcraft or backbiting or drunkenness. Um, I beg you, as a fellow sinner who's just a better sinner than you are, which is not good, run to the sacrament of confession tonight. Don't wait till tomorrow. Don't even wait till they say, we've got confession available. Nah, grab a priest and force him to hear your confession. <laughs> That's why he's there and he'd love to do it. I beg you to do it. Just go to a priest and say, please hear my confession. And when you go to confession, don't do what I used to do. I used to be very vague, you know, because I would like look at porn or something. I was like 17, 18, trying to get out of porn. I'd go to the priest and I'm like, I was disrespectful with my body. <laughs> like, <laughs> what does that mean? You know, <laughs> I ate too many donuts. No, I don't know. No, just like be honest, you know, just the priest isn't there to judge you. He's there to give you the mercy of God. So if you're a woman caught in porn, go to the priest. Or if you're a fella who's done something horrific, I don't know what it is. Please go to confession. I love you, I think. I will pray for you, I will do that, and please pray for me. God bless you.